0: You know when i was um when I was a kid growing up, my parents used to you know drill into me certain things that uh, I needed to know and uh, one of those things there are two things you should never talk about at the dinner table. Do you remember what they are? religion and politics How did you know did everybody else get told the same thing uh And, and, you know, why is that? Why is that? Why do you think it's, it's, is this a little loud? Can we turn turn it down a little bit, please? Thanks. Why is that? It seems that people get heated up. People get engaged in conflict over these things. They become passionate about their political opinions. And, uh, so, anyway, I, I guess the idea is that if you're eating dinner together, you should just be polite, um, well, today, we're going to talk about religion and politics. Mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. All right, let's uh, let's let's uh, listen to God's Word. This is Luke chapter 20. We're studying Luke together as a church. And uh, we're in the 20th chapter. The context is that uh, Jesus is in his... Um, just a a couple of days before he gives his life for sinners like me. Uh, He is is about to, uh, to lay his life down. And the funny thing is you've got other people who are trying to take his life from him. But Jesus said back in John chapter 10, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. No one takes his life away from him. But he lays it down on his own accord, out of his own grace, out of his own mercy, for us, so that we could be free, so that all of our sins could be forgiven, and so that we could have the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to our account as if we lived all that. Jesus has set us free by his death for us on the cross. And nobody's going to stop that from happening. And these people are trying to trap him because they think they can make him, uh, they, they, they can get rid of him. But you can't get rid of Jesus. Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do. He's the king. So listen to uh, Luke chapter 20. We'll start at verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly, and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. They're so full of it, aren't they? Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar... Or not, But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. The Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open up the Bible and knowing that, that, that it is your very uh, message to your people. That it's true in all that it affirms. And then as we open up the Word of God, we hear the Holy Spirit speaking. And I pray that you would open up our hearts to hear the Holy Spirit speaking specifically to us about the issues that are being raised in this passage. Raise our eyes to see Jesus and in, and in, in his glory and, and, to, to, and, and enable us by faith to raise up empty hands and receive all that Christ has for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is the assassination attempt. Jesus just told a story uh, before this passage. And that story was pretty clear in that he was, he was telling the story to say that the leaders of the, of, of the Jewish folk back then were, had, had participated and doing away with the prophets that God sent them, and that they were going to kill the Son of God himself. And so G- they knew that, that Jesus had told the story against them, and so they came at him, they, they, they got some spies together. And these, these leaders are panicking at this point, because they're part of the Roman Empire, they're under Roman occupation, um, and the scribes and the chief priests and the Herodians, according to Matthew, had this meeting. And in, and in John, they said, you know, we've got to do something, because if we don't do something fast, uh, Jesus is going to ruin everything for us. And so they decided they're going to, uh, they're, they're going to um, find a way to get rid of Jesus. So verse 19, they knew he was talking about them, so they figured out a way to get rid of him, to get him in trouble with the Romans. So they sent these slimy spies... And, and the slimy spies start out with not one, not two, but three compliments. Have you ever gotten three compliments in a row? I mean, you know something's wrong when you get three compliments in a row. Bob, that was a wonderful sermon. And you're looking mighty good today. And have you been working out? I mean, you know that there's something, something's up. When somebody stacks three compliments together before they ask you a question. Uh, I mean, the things that they said were true of Jesus, but they were false because of the heart that these compliments came from. I mean, you can almost hear Jesus rolling. You can see Jesus rolling his eyes. Like, Guys, give me a break. You know. Th- uh, so, here's the trick question. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Multiple choice, two possible answers. We have provided the two answers from which you must choose. And you better be careful. Now, why was this a problem question? It's a no-win type of question. Why was it a problem? Because if, he, if Jesus says "Yes," then the disciples are going to say, all his followers would feel like the mission is over." Okay, great. So we're paying Herod now. We thought we had a king. Instead, we're just going to pay Herod. We're, we're pay, pay Caesar. We're going, to, we're going to keep the Romans. I guess nothing's going to really change. The mission is over. Some Messiah, we're paying the Romans now. He's caved. On the other hand, if Jesus says no, which is what they expected him to say. You know, like, why pay the old king when the new king is here? We're going to have a revolution. We're going to get rid of the Romans. No, don't pay Caesar anything. He doesn't deserve it. We've got a new king in town. That's what they expected to hear. But you see, still, you know, we've been talking about this actually for a long time because it seems like Luke is making this point. Why did Jesus climb the hill to Jerusalem? Do you remember we've talked about this a lot? Can anybody remember what it was people expected Jesus to do when he got to Jerusalem? What was it? That's right, kick butt. Right. They thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem to sit on the throne. And what is Jesus trying to tell everybody he's going to Jerusalem for? Not to the throne, but to the, to the cross. And nobody got that, because no person in his wildest dreams could come up with a design where the Messiah, the promised Messiah, after all these hundreds of years of prophecies and promises that God would give, would finally come to Jerusalem and die. That just doesn't make any sense. It makes sense to us now because the Holy Spirit has shown us what the re- what the reality and the and the and the the, the significance of that is, and, and how it has saved our lives. But people didn't get that back then, and Jesus would tell he would just tell his disciples very plainly: the Son of Man is going to be mistreated. He's going to be spat upon. He's going to be mocked. He is going to be uh, abused. He is going to be killed. And on the third day, he will rise again, and nobody would get it. Nobody understood what he was saying because they had this view of the Messiah who's going to come and take over. And so they expected him to say, no, don't pay Caesar. And there are good reasons why this could be a real question from a sincere Jewish disciple. I mean, he could have said, you know, is it okay? I mean, what they're trying to say is, is it okay by the law of Moses to support the oppressive regime that is keeping us from being a sovereign Israeli state with our own king the way it used to be. Because after all, God called Abraham to be the father of a nation and that, that, uh, and that, that he would be their God and, and, and that um, they would be his people and that they would be a blessing to the whole earth and all nations would be blessed through the people of Abraham, designed to be a people A nation that carried the sword. A nation that had its... You know, you could... um, You you could have war with other nations. It was a nation that acted like a nation. But it was also the people of God. And it was all one. It was called the theocracy. And that's the way it was. And that's the way God designed it. But now here they are with the Roman occupation. They're saying, we can't let this keep going on like this. This is not the way it's supposed to be. So paying the Romans sounded like compromise. And if Jesus had answered no, then the Romans could hand him over to the governor, who could execute him for treason. And then they could remove the Jesus distraction and get on with getting the nation back on track. We'll make Israel great again, you know. And so what Jesus does with the assassination attempt is this. He does three things. First of all, he gives an answer nobody saw coming. He says, you know, that's when he says, somebody dig into your pocket and pull out a denarius. Uh, Show me the the coin. And he looks at the coin. He says, okay, whose picture is on the coin? They said, oh, Caesar's. Well, then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Nobody saw that coming. Of course not you're dealing with jesus the lord the king uh, nobody saw that coming he also he decides when it's time to lay his life down as i said earlier nobody takes it away from him he decides when it is time to lay his life down so he turned and then the third thing jesus does is he turns an assassination attempt on his life into a teachable moment isn't that like the lord he'll take an attempt on his life and turn it into a teachable moment that all of us, 2,000 years later, can still learn from. This is what our wonderful Savior does. So, what is behind this answer that Jesus gives everybody? He says, you know, show me the, show me the coin. Whose picture's on it? It's Caesar's. Fine. Give to Caesar what's Caesar. Give to God what is God's. What is behind that answer. And I want to suggest three things. One, the days of the theocracy are over. And what I mean by that is that our enemies are no longer flesh and blood. Our enemies are not the Philistines and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Hittites. Our enemies are not people. (laughs) Your enemies are not your husband, or your wife, or people from a political party that you do not like. Your enemies are not people. Your enemies are not flesh and blood, but they are the devil. And your own resident sinful nature, the flesh, that's going to be there until it's gone when you see Jesus face to face. That's your enemies. And so the days of the theocracy are over. The church, the people of God, do not bear the sword. The people of God are not in political power. Secondly, the days of kingdom fulfillment are not yet. The kingdom is here because Jesus Christ has come, and he has given his life for his church, and his church you know, the Holy Spirit is conquering our hearts and and he's bringing more people into the kingdom and the kingdom of God is growing, but the kingdom of God is not in its fulfillment. That is sometime in the future. And thirdly, the days of living as strangers and aliens in a foreign land are now. This is the way it's going to be, says Jesus, from now until the time I return. The church is living as strangers and aliens in a foreign land that is not our own. We're going to flesh that out a little bit more. And then he says, give to God what belongs to God. On the coin is the image... Of Caesar. But when you look in the mirror and you see yourself, whose image is stamped all over you? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God says, Let us make man in our own image. God created the human being in his own image. And so, In God's image, our whole selves, everything we are. You might be paying rent to Caesar, but your whole life and your energy and your passion, is all that is within you, goes to God. You're made by God, you're made for God, and we'll talk about that more in a few minutes. But let's talk about living as strangers and aliens in a foreign land. This is, I think, the context. In fact, when you look in the Old Testament... Don't look at the kingdom of Israel for an idea of what it's like to live in your home country. When you go to the Old Testament, the place that seems to correspond the most clearly with our present situation is exile. You're in a land that is not your own. And your heart is in the kingdom of God, but you are living in a land that's not your own. So living as strangers and aliens. I'm getting out those words from, from the Apostle Peter. We're going to look into a little bit of 1 uh, Peter together. But uh, before, we da- before we do that, let's go to Romans chapter 13. And the first thing I want to say is that your government is serving God. Hmm. Uh, you may not like uh, some things your government does. Um, You may not like the things that governments in other countries do. And you may um, feel a sense of distress when you think about your brothers and sisters in other countries that are where Christianity is illegal. And you think, how can that government be a servant of God? Well, that's the situation that that, that Jesus is speaking about because Caesar was no nice guy. Uh, You know, it was the Roman government that used to feed us Christians to the lions. Just for being Christians. And so, Romans chapter 13 um, says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. You see, the the, the government does bear the sword. The government has you know coercion and. The Government has um, guns and things uh, and tanks and missiles and, and whatnot uh, and, and and Paul is saying here that's that's not for nothing um, it, it's there for your good actually. so if you do wrong, be afraid for he who does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer therefore. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. So, your government, the first thing I want to say about living as strangers and aliens and rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's is that the government is actually serving God, no matter how messed up that government is. It's still better than no government, and it's there to serve God. Second thing. Between the first and second coming of Jesus, the government will often be hostile to the church of Jesus Christ. We know this from other parts of the world. Uh, We see it sometimes here. And uh, 1 Peter, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, later on in the New Testament. Verses uh, 12 through 19. He says, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised. At the f- that, you know this, this, this always gets me. When somebody goes, oh, they didn't let us Christians do whatever we wanted to do. I can't believe it. Why do they kick us Christians around? And Peter says, don't be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though some strange things were happening to you. and then uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 through 18. I want to take a look at that too, real quick. Um, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So between the second, first and second coming of Jesus Christ, the government will often be at odds with Jesus Christ and with his cause, and his kingdom, and your life as a Christian. Expect it. Number three. Submission is still the answer until you hit the Acts 529 wall. And we'll tell you what that means. Okay, so all those passages I just read say, submit to the government. Um, you know, if, if the government says, you need to pay... 65% of your income in taxes will pay the 65% of your income in the taxes. Uh, if your government says, uh, no turn on red, well, don't turn on red. You know, Oh, I hate those signs, don't you? <laughs> but, I mean, I still have to do what it says. You know? So submission is still the answer until you get to the Acts 529 wall. Now, the story behind Acts 5.29 is this. Peter and Paul go up to pray. Jesus Christ has, um, has given his life, and he has been raised from the dead. He's alive, and then he, asc- he ascended uh, to sit at the Father's right hand, where he is our high priest, uh, until we see him uh, coming again. And then, he sent the Spirit of God, which gave birth to what we call the church. And so the church is meeting various times in various places, and one of those times Peter and John go up to the temple to pray, and they see a man who is uh, who is lame and um, not lame in the uh, in the uh, modern sense, but lame in that he couldn 't walk and so uh, he's, and the, the lame man uh, is not expecting healing he 's expecting some cash, so he holds out his hand, and Peter and John say, I'm sorry, man, we don't have any money. Um, But, you know what we got? (laughs) You know what we got? In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he went walking, and then leaping, and then praising God. And then the leaders got mad. The Sanhedrin, the ruling council, Paul, Peter, and John, because, it, because after the healing, they begin to preach about Jesus Christ and about how, we, with cruel and wicked hands, he crucified the Lord of glory, and yet he raised again from the dead, and that, it is, uh, and that everyone can have life through his name. And so they begin to preach this, and the, the people haul them in and say, You can't do this anymore. You can't talk about Jesus anymore. And they said, We, we really can't stop talking about what we've seen or heard. We really can't help it. And then they come, and then, you know, then they start preaching again. And then they haul them in again, and they whip them. And they said, you must not do this anymore. And they said, you know what? We must obey God rather than you. So when push comes to shove, when it comes to that place, that Acts 529 wall, where The government says, you have to do this, and God says no. Or the government says, you must not do this, and God says yes. That's where your submission is to God and is in conflict with the government that is in place. So, you submit until you hit the Acts 529 wall. Number four, walk holy. Live holy. Now, and how do you do that? You know, you just make up a list of holy things. <laughs> I'm going to be holy today. I'm going to do this list of ten holy things, and that will make me holy. Well, you know, and I know it never works that way. Our, our greatest uh, our New Year's resolutions will not produce holiness. Somebody said that if, uh, that, that if, if, we, um, uh, if we quit making New Year's resolutions, we quit loving him. Uh, but if we uh, quit breaking our New Year's resolutions, we quit needing him. Uh, you know, you need the Lord. The Lord commands holiness. The Lord gives what the Lord commands. So for this, I, I, you know, one of the things I've appreciated about being in this church for so many years is that constantly the motivation for you living a holy life is what Jesus Christ has already done. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, The grace of God, which appears to all people, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and teaches us to live godly and self-controlled lives. No grace, no holiness. And so we have a holiness that comes from going not to a set of standards that we cannot keep, we have a holiness that comes from going to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and righteousness, and the power of His Spirit to live a new life that we could never live without Him. Jesus is in the ha- and is in the business of transforming people's lives. He takes you from one place to another. He does not leave you in that place of where you feel like you just can't get out of that sin. Jesus does have power for you. Believe the gospel. Believe the power of the gospel. It says in Romans chapter 6 that when that when you were when you came to Jesus Christ, you were dead in Christ, and you were buried with Christ, and you were raised unto a newness of life. Therefore, sin shall not have dominion over you any longer. That means that sin is losing its grip on you, and that though you will sin, you will not live under the power and the domination of sin. For the rest of your life, because Jesus Christ is in charge, he becomes your king and he gives you his spirit, and he enables you to live like you could never live without the power of the spirit that's good news, real good news i don't want to stay the way I am um, and I, and this you know this really hit me um, uh, square in the face I mean look look at first Peter again, first Peter chapter two. Uh, 11 and 12, says this. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, strangers and aliens, I think another uh, translation says strangers and aliens, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's what this is for. So when you are rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's, you're walking holy. You're you're shining as lights, like stars in in a crooked and perverse generation. Against the dark background, you are shining. And, 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 you, you, and people look at your good works, and they don't glorify you. People look at your good works, they glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then, five. Pray for those in authority for the sake of peace. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, says to, I want, first of all, for prayers, supplications, to be made for those who are in authority, that we may live in a land of peace. You do pray for your authority. Pray for your government. Pray for your, your president. Pray for your Philadelphia mayor. Pray for, um, uh, for those who are in authority. Pray for the Supreme Court. Pray, uh, pray for them. Uh, that we may live in a land of peace. And, and Jeremiah, in verse twenty, uh, chapter twenty-nine, puts it this way, speaking to the people of God who are in a foreign land that is not their own. And Jeremiah, uh, God says through Jeremiah, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So be a blessing to Philadelphia in the name of Jesus Christ. Seek the welfare. Seek the the prosperity. Seek the peace of Philadelphia. God has you here for a reason. And here you are, part of the kingdom of God. And, 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 And you can have an impact. And then number six, keep the end game in mind. Keep the end game in mind. Um, I'm probably overusing the word endgame, first of all, because I don't know anything about athletics. And secondly, because it just seems to fit in so beautifully in some things that I want to say. But, so I, if I'm misusing it, somebody come and tell me after giving me three compliments. But um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't give me those three compliments. I don't want to hear it. So, um, but keep the endgame in mind. The endgame is not a Christian-friendly government that you want. The endgame is not a utopia. You know what utopia means? U means good. Topia means place. So utopia is like is like this place in your head that oh I wish I could live in this place in my head that is is you know that would be good for me you know but it might not be good for somebody else you know that, that we get these ideas of utopia in our heads you know um, I mean I just I just I, I was uh, it's it's a bad habit but sometimes I read Facebook posts. And uh, there's a lot of politics on Facebook. Have you noticed that? Or is it just me? And, uh, and so some guy was describing this utopian America. And I thought, great. You want an America that you like. But I know a whole bunch of people who wouldn't, be, wouldn't like that at all. So what's utopia for you is hell for somebody else. So don't create a utopia. You're not, we are not commanded to create a Utopia. We're not commanded to create a Christian-friendly government. That's not the end game. The end game is God being glorified when the church is being the church, when the church is being holy, and when the church is loving people and loving one another, when the church is unified so that in the church there are no male, there's no male, no female, no, uh, no slave or free, no Scythian or barbarian, no Republican, no Democrat, no Democrat but we are one in Jesus Christ. So that Jesus is our only unity. Jesus is our fundamental unity. Love one another, and that is going to be a great testimony to a watching world. Keep the end game in mind. Because you want a cultural impact but that cultural impact is going to be the spillover of the grace of God into your community as you shine like lights in a dark place. So that's, you can render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Um, those six things. Your government is serving God, too. Um, between the first and second coming of Jesus, the government will also be against what you're doing as a Christian. Number three, submission is still the answer until you hit the Acts 20, 529 wall. Four, walk holy. Um, five, pray for the uh, those in authority. And number six, keep the end game in mind. The end game is not a better government. The end game is the glory of God. Finally, give to God what is God's. You are his by creation and redemption. God made you, therefore you're his. You're his property. But God not only made you, but for those of you who are in Jesus Christ, it says that you are not your own. You have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. You belong to Jesus Christ. You've been been redeemed. That means bought back, purchased back, purchased away from an oppressor and, and set free to live our good king. You have been redeemed. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Um, Heidelberg Catechism. Could we have that up? Um, The Heidelberg Catechism says it beautifully, I think. And I wonder if we could just say this together. Um, Friends, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Together. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. Let that be your fundamental comfort, that you are not your own, but you belong, body and soul, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Give to God what is God's. Every area of your life belongs to God. You know, there's no such thing as secular, if you're a Christian. You know, like, I'm listening to secular music right now. That's not secular. If you are Christian, all good things come from the Father. Whether you're talking about Jimi Hendrix, B.B. King, Stevie Ray Vaughan, or Bach. All good things come from the Father of lights, who gives them freely, and who does not change with shifting shadows, but is faithful. Every good thing you and I experience in this world is no secular There's no, you know, this is sacred, this is secular. For you as a Christian, everything becomes sacred. And so, every area of your life, which means that you can't, like, section off an area of your life, this is my job life, this is totally apart from my Christian life. No, your job, Jesus is king over your job world. Jesus is king over you. When you go tomorrow morning, those of you who have jobs, and you go tomorrow morning, and you go into work, and you check in, you're gonna live for the glory of God. Live holy for the glory of God, like we were talking about before. That's sacred territory. That's not secular. You don't have a secular job. You know, I used to be a pastor, now I'm a piano tuner. Does that mean I have a secular job? No. It means that I am working the job that Jesus wants me to do right now. You know, so it's not. There it's not like um, it's not like you can you can take a whole part of your life and say that Jesus doesn't have anything to do with this. Jesus has got something to do with everything. The arts, politics, education, the way you do business, the way you relate to your family, the way you relate to your friends, and the way you relate to your enemies. Jesus is king over all of it. And so you want to be conscious about, you know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. I belong to God. Every area of my life has the stamp of Jesus' kingship over it. And so I look in every area of my life and I see, what areas am I holding back? What areas am I saying, Jesus, no, you can't get in here. We'll have some time for you to deal with that at the end of the service. Give to God your deepest passion and enjoyment. Every beautiful thing he's created. Grace and I went to um, Colorado uh, a couple weeks ago. I don't think I've ever seen I don't think I've ever seen that much beauty in one place. It was incredible. The varieties of mountains that God made. It's my God. You know, he made all that. It was just so beautiful. And I've never seen anything like it before in my life. And they all those mountains were just standing up there giving praise to God, their creator, the beauty. You know, every everything you see beautiful, just let it become an item of praise to the God, because it points to the Creator. There's nothing created, nothing thrilling, nothing addicting can satisfy you because you're created in the image of God so that whatever you see and whatever you want and whatever you enjoy, let it lead you to the God who is all-satisfying, who provides good things. You see, you know what? It, I mentioned addiction. The reason I say that is because, it is, it is because addiction promises you everything and gives you nothing. Addiction promises you the moon, and, it, you know, and then it eats your lunch. And, 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 and so, so what I'm saying is, when you see anything beautiful, don't look at that beautiful thing and say, if, if this little bit of it makes me feel terrific, then a whole lot of it all the time would make me feel fantastic. Don't draw that conclusion. Let that beautiful thing turn your eyes to the one who created beauty. Who is altogether lovely. Who is altogether beautiful. Give God your deepest trust. Colossians chapter 1. Who are you really trusting in? You know? Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus holds all things in the universe together. Man, I love that. I love to know that. That Jesus Christ, the good king, holds everything in the universe together. R.C. Sproul says there are no maverick molecules. Because Jesus is Lord over all. Everything. He holds all things together. So, you didn't get, you know, come November, you don't get the president you want. Jesus holds all things together. You know? It's... He is in charge. He's got the whole world in his hands, like that song says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And place your deepest hope in who God is and what he promises. And Jesus return, the blessed hope, the new heavens and the new earth. We are looking forward to seeing Jesus' face. And that is the hope. That is the hope that keeps us as a church going. That is a hope that makes us, that's our blessed hope. That's what we long to see. That is going to be the satisfaction of all our deepest, deepest, fundamental yearnings. Is to see the face of the King. Like we sang, was it Easter time? I want to see the blessed face of Him who died for me. That is, that's a cry of the heart, Christian. Just want to see his face. And at that time, things are going to be right. At that time, you're going to get the utopia that you never even dreamed of because we didn't have the capacity to come up with it. But let your deepest hope be the blessed hope, the return of Jesus Christ and the new heavens and the new earth, living without sin, imagine. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. And finally, give to God your worship. Give to God your worship. Just like uh, Tim was talking about earlier when he led us in prayer. Give to God your worship. He's worthy. He is worthy of all your worship. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God and we are the sheep of His pasture. The flock under His care. Give God all your worship. Worship is when you respond to God with everything that is within me. You know, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. If you respond to any created thing with all that is within you, you just worshiped an idol, no matter how good that thing might be. Come to God with all that is within you. you Everything that is within you responds to the glory of who God is. Come to him and worship. So make your deepest and strongest hope, not for better government, not for more religious freedom, not for anything short of Jesus Christ, King over Caesar, King over the USA, king over the world, king over all that he has made, place your hope in when the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. That is your hope. So what I'd like to do, worship team, come on back up here. I want want you to think of two questions in your head. And then respond to those two questions in prayer, either seated or coming up and praying with a member of the prayer team. Can we have a prayer team come forward, please? Can we have a prayer team? Somebody's willing to pray with others? Please come on up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, these folks who uh, are in the prayer team, they're going to love you. They're going to hold in confidence the things that you tell them. And they're going to just take you to the throne of grace and just point you to Jesus in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. So as you think about these two questions, these two questions, one, is my hope for a utopia before Jesus comes back? Am I really hoping for that utopia? Or is my hope in God? Is my hope in God is while I'm a stranger in exile? Secondly, is there any place in my life that I'm holding on to that I'm not giving to God? Is there any place in my life where I'm saying, you know, this temptation and this sin is too strong, so I give up? Some of you have been there, right? There have been times that I've been there. Sin is strong, but Jesus truly is stronger. His spirit is stronger. And so, please, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Is there anything in your life right now that you're holding on to? Maybe some compartment in your life where you decided that's secular. And Jesus doesn't have anything to say about that. Um, just let the Lord break through that. And, um, and we're going to sing together. Lord, I give you, uh, I give you my, my life. I give you all that is within me. And... Um, and so we're going to sing that together, but then I'm just going to take some time. I'm going to just play some music and just let you let, let you take the time to answer those two questions in your mind and to pray and ask the Lord uh, uh, to, to search your heart, to know your heart, to try your thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in you, and, and to lead you to the way everlasting. So uh, let's sing that together, and then we'll.